1: Okay, even this song is making me laugh. All right, so it's time. It's time to do this. We do this occasionally. We're getting together the nose to talk about a movie. I I, I think I sort of have to do a little preamble here. I'll do it really quickly. But So back in maybe 1997, when my son was maybe almost eight... Or maybe it was eight. You know when you'd go to Blockbuster on a winter afternoon and you'd just walk around and you'd seen every single damn movie there? Or the movies you hadn't seen you didn't want to see or they were inappropriate or whatever. And so in that state of mind, we saw a movie on a shelf in the Bishop's Corner West Hartford Blockbuster called Bottle Rocket. And we looked at it and there was nobody we'd ever heard of in it except for James Caan. James Caan was in it. And and so we took it home and it was made – it looked like it was made for about $60,000. But it was really kind of brilliant. And it had these guys, Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson, nobody had ever seen before. There's even another Wilson brother who's also in it. Uh, And we just fell in love with it. I think we might have watched it twice before bringing it back. And, and A Love Story was born, and he and I saw a, a lot of those movies. He's kind of dropped out of the Wes Anderson race a little bit lately. Uh, so I'm not neutral on the subject of w- w- Wes Anderson. I'm more of a completist. Uh, however, the entire time that was happening, there was a dark presence watching us. The Eye of Mordor. And that would be one of our panelists today, America's Greatest Living Film Critic, and my very good friend, David Edelstein, who, who has no truck with most of this Wes Anderson stuff. Also joining us today, Sam Hannelman, who works in music public, public relations and hopes hosts the Sam Adelman Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. And Carolyn Payne is an actress, comedian, dancer, uh, founder, director, of, and choreographer Kinetic Dance, oceanographer, submersible pilot. She does a little of everything. Uh, And in fact, in the second segment of today's show, we're going to talk about the way the tragedy of the Titan, the submersible uh, Titan run by a company called OceanGate, or maybe a former company called OceanGate, kind of turned into social media fodder and became this thing that we, you know, one of these social media Rorschach blots onto onto which we project all kinds of barely appropriate attitudes. But first, indeed, Asteroid City, and before we hear from the panel, let's hear from the... (laughs) Cast of thousands. So this clip features Hope Davis, Liev Schreiber, Tom Hanks, uh, Tony Revolori, who was the lobby boy in Grand Budapest, but who's counting, uh, and Jeffrey Wright, among other famous actors, a one cat. Oh.
0: How long can they keep us in Asteroid City? Legally,
2: I mean. Well, I'm not an attorney, but I'd say as long as they like. I think we'd have to file an injunction and successfully argue the case six months to a year. Of course, we'd also need to initiate a civil suit for loss of income. Maybe we
3: should just walk out right now. I'm not sure they could stop us
2: without killing somebody.
0: Interesting idea. What kind of mileage do you think that jetpack gets?
3: Ask Roger
0: or his son. Apparently, he's been prosecuted for revealing state secrets.
3: I'll never make it stick. I'm in no hurry. I like the desert. I like aliens. Pull. How'd you get that
1: back? The projects remain under secure lockdown. No stargazers permitted personal access without the express my permission. My son
0: invented this death ray. That may be true,
1: but well, my Step orders back. are
3: see, fellas. We're not in Guadalcanal okay. anymore. Okay. okay, everyone, please. we in a typical quarantine. You I'll stop your you right now. Now. God damn it.
0: tell him
3: to stand down! Stand down! You hear that? General Gibson says stand down.
0: You married? Of course.
1: All right. So um, there's a lot going on there. Uh, it's a hard movie to summarize, but it's a roughly 1955. We're uh, in a very sort of rose and turquoise colored desert town, uh, very 1955 and kind of bakelite looking. Uh, and uh, some kind of um, awards ceremony or something, a convention of, well, here, let me just get it right here. Uh, it's Junior Stargazer Space Cadet Convention uh, is happening, and some awards are going to be given out, except that there's a uh, kind of an alien. Intervention here, and they have to be quarantined. I think that's what you're hearing. The movie stars Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, Leah Schreiber, Hope Davis, Stephen Park, Rupert Friend, and I'm really just getting started. I mean, Steve Carell and Margot Robbie have really pretty small cameos, as does Matt Dillon. I could go on. Sayu George, the Brazilian musician who played David Bowie songs in Portuguese all the way through Life Aquatic, is like in this little band. It's barely noticed. It's stuff like that. So I don't think we can begin with the, the skunk at the gar- garden party. I think we have to build to the skunk at the garden party. So, Carolyn, maybe just get us started. What was your relationship to uh, Asteroid City?
2: Um, you know, I'm a Wes Anderson fan. I'm not like a super fan, but I really, I I do really enjoy Wes Anderson. This is a very Wes Anderson movie. It's sort of like peak Wes Anderson. Uh, so it has all the things that we know and love about him, uh, like his stylized, the colors, the, the way it's shot, this, you know, cavalcade of stars doing small cameos almost um and this kind of uh sense of choose your own adventure is how you interpret it uh you know th- th- and the acting styles where these actors are just deadpanning through it uh so if you are a Wes Anderson fan this is going to be something you're going to love um it it wasn't my favorite Wes Anderson but I definitely uh other than, I, I'm embarrassed to admit, I did come home and Google because I got into a panic as I was leaving the theater that I did not understand this movie. <laughs> uh, but this movie definitely is <laughs> designed for you to, I think, kind of go home and process and, uh, and choose how you are emotionally relating to it. And even the actors admitted that, you know, they all had different interpretations. Uh, so that made me feel better about it. I, cause there was a moment where I was leaving Real Artways last night and I was like, wow, is it possible that I did not understand what I just saw? Am I not as smart as I think I am? So, uh, as long as you go into it, liking Wes Anderson and being willing to, uh, feel like maybe you didn't understand something, it's great.
1: And it's a lot of fun, whether you understand it or not, or it's not. You're about to hear uh, exactly why it might not be any fun. Uh, I do want to say, first of all, we're catching the movie kind of in transit from the big screen, from movie theaters, into streaming release, it's about a week away, I think, from streaming release. So you might be able to find it on a movie screen this weekend. You might have to wait a week. I don't know. It's unclear to me where you're going to see this if you haven't already. So let's bring out, let's bring out the Eye of Mordor uh, now. So David Edelstein, go ahead. You have the floor. Say, say what it is I'm you need to say. I'm seething
0: here. I'm seething <laughs> here, being referred to as a skunk as the Eye of Mordor. <laughs> I want to say that uh, you know. So Wes Anderson's two fully animated movies, The Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, are two of my favorite animated movies of the last 25 years. I liked Dar- The Darjeeling Limited. I remain, I, I have been and I remain open to Wes Anderson's twee tomfoolery, despite uh, all <laughs> other, the contrary. Um, I uh, I would have to agree with Carolyn. A lot of this movie... By by the way, I, you know, I, I was a professional film critic for a very long time, and if I didn't understand a movie, I went back and I thought about it and I thought about it, and if I still didn't understand it, I could fake it with the best of them. I'm really flummoxed by a lot of what was in this movie. The dialogue it was sort of pitched like a dog whistle. Went over my head. The the frames within frames. The the recursiveness. The the play within a play. It reminded me of uh, the movie within a movie. It reminded me a little bit of Thornton Wilder's uh, The Skin of Our Teeth, and and even a little bit of Our Town. But uh, I, I saw all of his themes. You know, all of his usual themes in there. Uh, here it's. Um, uh, people waiting around. There's a nuclear holocaust in the background. A police state. An alien visitation. Um, if if you are on its wavelength, uh, and and perhaps someday in the future, uh, post brain surgery or a brain injury, I might well be <laughs> on its on its wavelength. But let me let me take a minute, Colin, because you you as as. Viewers, uh, viewers, as listeners might or might not know, we do communicate before these uh, wondrous uh, colloquies, and you do have a theory uh, of Wes Anderson involving depression that I think you should share with us because I I think it's fascinating. I have a lot of questions about it, and I and I think it would get us right to the heart of young Wes uh, very quickly if you would.
1: Yeah. Well, my theory basically is in the sense that when we watch slapstick, physical slapstick, we watch Buster Keaton, the Three Stooges, the Pink Panther, whatever, we're seeing what would be in real life very, very painful injuries that you would not want to endure. They would send you to the ER. But we're laughing at them because they exist in a safe space for us uh, so we can laugh. And some of our laughter, I think, is sort of nervous laughter about, wow, if I ever got hit in the head that hard, it would be a real problem. Um, and I think West does that with emotional pain, especially depression, you know, almost All of his movies uh, are about depression, uh, including Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, and about what you do about depression. But they exist usually within this sort of incredibly visually colorful uh, space uh, and, and, and twee playfulness. So it's kind of a way for us to look at depressed people. Uh, and, and maybe our own depression uh, and, and and look at it in a safer way as just sort of part of this is part of life. You know, I mean, life can be, be very beautiful and fun. Uh,
0: that's so brilliant. That's so brilliant. And I want to try to unpack it. OK, uh, I've been thinking and thinking about this since you wrote this. OK, you have human beings, you have famous actors that are um, dressed and posed like mannequins and speaking very quickly and with highly theatrical diction in these. Uh, endlessly parodied, off-symmetrical, color-coordinated dollhouse frames. Now, I am not so literal-minded as to ask, what does it mean? Because it doesn't have to mean anything. It's a work of art. But what is the relationship of these artificial characters to this artificial space? Are we meant to see, uh, I don't know, the sad human face, helpless and... Uh, alone, depressed in this over-controlled, uh, almost straightjacketed existence, or 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 are we watching a megalomaniacal auteur director who likes to make dollhouses with A-list human dolls? I don't know.
1: Well, let's go. Let's know. go. Let's go to Sam Haddleman and see if he can uh, set us straight here. Sam, uh, I'm sure you've got to take the We'll put all of these questions to rest.
3: Yeah, no, um, I think that's always been my thing with Wes Anderson. Like I watched the Royal Tenenbaums like way, way too early in life. I think it might have been the first movie I ever purchased on Amazon. Um, And when Colin started talking about like depression and how it kind of embodies that, I kind of thought of Rushmore and the relationship between Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray and how it's kind of like a depiction of like how aimlessly and alone age makes things feel like if that makes sense, like Bill Murray's obviously going through like this weird midlife crisis where he's doing like cannonballs and pools, smoking cigarettes with two beers. And this really like lost and confused student is trying to find his way around like a really preppy school. that He doesn't like fit in. Like, I don't really think, and I think that's a problem with these last couple Wes Anderson films is that they don't need to be such a hipster potluck. Like he doesn't need to like bring in this awesome, big IMDB cast. Like my, and Colin brought this up in the email. My favorite Wes Anderson is like, the really simple bare bones stuff. Like, I think that was the problem with this film, at least for me, like aesthetically beautiful. I really love how it depicted loneliness and isolation and i wonder if like the pandemic played a role in him talking about like quarantining and kind of having to like stay it's
1: absolutely clear they do quarantine and it's got to be shot right around that time and we now know that bill murray is supposed to be in the movie and he got COVID in ireland four days before shooting began and couldn't really be used and carolyn to that point one thing that i'll say about this and i'd love to get your reaction is i mean usually i have to see a wes anderson movie two or three or four times before I really kind of feel like I've absorbed some of the valences. But also, because there's so much packed into it, uh, I mean, with this one, I really feel I'll probably watch it at least another two times, and, and maybe more than that, just to even pick up some of these little tiny performances of pretty interesting actors, or little jokes within jokes within jokes. And we should say that this is, what did McNichol say, it's a, it's a play with a TV show, within a play, within a movie or something, uh, very similar to Grand Budapest Hotel, which also had that kind of Russian doll nesting quality. But, Carolyn, I, I actually do have a question, which is, isn't it kind of fun to see a movie where there's kind of more than you can absorb? I walk out of a lot of movies and th- think, well, yeah, I certainly understood that movie because there wasn't that much to have to understand.
2: Um. I mean i guess yeah it's it's nice to feel like you you know your money was well spent and you have a lot to chew <laughs> on but it also it, it stressed me out like oh my god what didn't i understand did i get up and go to the bathroom and miss everything important like did i zone out uh i not capable of wrapping my head around this like multi-layered metaverse he's created here um so there is that element and maybe I'm the only person who has that sort of instinctive, uh, stress, uh, stress half that happens where my brain explodes. Um, I think that there, there's a movie like this. It is kind of nice to have something where you, it is fun to watch. Like, unlike some movies that are really trying to provoke you into and feeling, uh, that they take away way kind of that that sense of fun this this has that uh you definitely laugh out loud at a lot of this there's uh there there are it 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 is not a movie where you're going to be mad as you're watching it it's sort of more at the end you're just you just have to take that time with it and i agree i think upon second viewing uh and even third viewing i think like wes anderson is and and this movie specifically, are he creates these worlds and these characters and these little nuanced jokes that you have to go back and really want to look for and dig through uh, and figure out. And I think that that's kind of fun.
0: I wait, 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 wait. I'm 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 a little. I mean, it may be that you know five, six, seven, a hundred viewings into the future, we will all agree this is a masterpiece. But I have a hard time making that leap of faith. I'm not saying it's the emperor's new clothes and the (laughs) emperor the emperor obviously has very, very pretty clothes. I'm just not sure he's wearing any underwear.
1: Well, you know, one thing, one question that I have for you, just because you know the business better than the rest of us is... You know, because I wonder about this, too. Why do you think so many people want to be in these movies? I mean, people who could, you know, and, and a lot of times it's very little screen time. I mean, these are, as you said, A-list actors who sometimes have like, I don't know, Fisher Stevens from Succession is in this movie. You, you could have fooled me. Uh, but, um, wh- you know, why do all these, you know, the Cranstons and the Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, isn't it, too? Why do you think they want to do this stuff?
0: I don't know, man. I mean, he doesn't pay, he pays scale. Um, They just, it's (laughs) kind of a, it's a hipster collective. They want to say I'm in a West. They know they, you know, all of these people are incredible egomaniacs and they can actually tell themselves that they're being kind of humble in being sort of subservient (laughs) to this director's vision. They're like, Oh, okay. I'm putting myself in your hands. And that's why, you know, so, uh, my favorite performances in Wes Anderson's movies kind of, usually, you know, are by people who haven't gotten along with Wes Anderson, like Gene Hackman during uh, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. You know, Wes tried to uh, tried to pose the guy and give him line readings, and he nearly ripped Wes's head off. Uh, I will say uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson, I think, pulls a multi layered character out of herself, and she is. Wonderful in this movie. She's a great actress and she's wonderful in this movie. Uh, Jeffrey Wright has some amusing intonations. Maya Hawk was fun to watch to see sort of signs of her mom in there and her mom's kind of good humor. The Alien was funny. Uh, but I was really, I I was so deadly bored by the other actors in this movie. And I was so bored by that horizontal moving camera. You know, it seems like every time he would cut to a new frame, the camera would move, would move across the screen again. And what just seemed like a sort of monotonic, boring, you know, sort of entrancingly boring style. So I don't, I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't feel the passion in this film I didn't feel the emotion in this film um you know to me it it did not transcend it did not transcend the externals which yeah were pretty impressive I was you know you guys sound like you were entertained by it I was really bored and exacerbated Mm -hmm. exacerbated yes probably exacerbated but exasperated (laughs) and uh exfoliated and (laughs) excited by any any x things by it um so sorry It's okay. No apology necessary. Yeah, Sam, one of
1: the funny... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Carolyn, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say that my... Okay, yeah, my biggest frustration with this movie was Jeff Goldblum, who, if any actor could ever, I think, sparkle in Wes Anderson-style acting and film, it would be Jeff Goldblum with his very unique delivery. And we got just one line from him. And he and I I, I don't know if he did the body acting in a suit. I, I didn't Google that, if he did the body act, actual alien, uh, or just did that one line. But um, that was one of my biggest frustrations. I thought when the credits rolled at the beginning and I saw Jeff Goldblum was playing the alien, that felt to me like there was a lot of promise of something there. You
0: wanted and more, that actors. Was, you wanted more uh, actors in this
1: movie. Right. I
2: did. Well, exactly. So I have the opposite gripe. You can just uh, <laughs> yeah. watch uh, this
1: weekend. You can watch The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, in which Jeff Goldblum has a pretty big role. And, you know, Sam, one of the things that really struck yeah. me here is that, um, you know, for all of these A-list and, and A-list minus actors who were in there, really, like, a lot of the screen time goes to this guy, Jake Ryan, who plays Woodrow Steve. Who's the the son of Jason Schwartzman's character, and and Grace Edwards, who plays the daughter uh, of Scarlett Johansson's. Uh, character and this guy Jake Ryan. I mean, I think he really sort of is another, you know, perfect Wes Anderson actor. He has that kind of kind of blankness to him, you know, and this kind of stillness to him. And he's not a particularly attractive young man. Uh, and and there's a way in which you know, for all the fancy people who show up, it is often these people you've never heard of, uh, similar to t- Tony Revolori uh, as the lobby boy in Grand Budapest. You know, you before sort of. Before you
0: think, answer, can I just ask? Yeah. Before you answer, is, is there? Um, were those fake matching moles on the two juveniles? <laughs> Am I expected to know that? Um, yes, all right. <laughs> I, I I'd expect you to know that. All right. Well, um, moles turn, actors with moles turn up in a, or, or birthmarks turn up in a lot of his movies. Huh. I don't know. Maybe that's a question for specialists. Right.
1: No, there actually is a documentary called Dermatology in Wes Anderson Movies, and I recommend it to you. I think Netflix has it right now. But, yeah, Sam, you could now answer any question you want to answer, oh. not the one I asked.
3: And I think this kind of like ties back to the conversation we had of like why actors want to be in these movies is because Wes Anderson's kind of found himself in this unique space where like he can pack a theater with like a hipster fodder movie. Like I, I tried to see the movie in Brooklyn opening weekend and I, I tried to get the ticket at the desk and the guy laughed at me. He was like, mm-hmm. you're not getting here. That's crazy. Usually when I see Wes Anderson movies, it's me and like seven old ladies in New Haven. Uh, but this time I, I, I tried to watch it in Brooklyn. But yeah, I think that's uh, especially with that kid. That you were talking about jake ryan like i think that's kind of what's been missing in his movies is that like i don't don't really get why he's lean so hard into bringing everybody and their mother into these movies when it could be a really interesting platform to introduce like newer more awkward kind of you know uh what, what's that word people like avant-garde performances um i'd really like the fun of that to return back to his movies like i don't really need to see timothy Chalamet in a wes anderson movie that sounds like a TikTok tock mad lib like well, I'm, I'm really good yeah.
1: speaking of TikTok, we just got a couple of minutes left and carolyn you should say a little bit about some of the sort of um ancillary wes anderson experiences available to us on the wonderful thing known as the internet
2: yeah i mean if you are a wes anderson fan or even if you're not and you just like to pose as a hipster cool film person on social media. There is a big trend right now where you, uh, film yourself as if you are in a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, it uses like a song from, uh, one of his soundtracks and, uh, there's even an AI app that you can download that helps. If you can't find the perfect accidentally Wes Anderson backdrop, which is another amazing thing you can follow on Instagram. If you can't find the perfect backdrop to Wes Anderson out, you can even use an AI app that will turn a building into pastel pink around you so that you can really nail the aesthetic and be your own uh <laughs> be be your own star of a Wes Anderson film and be as pretentious as all the celebrities clamoring to be in it. I I, were, I, 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 I I would, see how
0: easy it is to parody him see how i mean the fact that he repeats him he repeats himself people say oh you can tell by one frame it's a wes anderson movie yeah no kidding you can tell by one frame i mean is that a good thing i mean some people would would say it is i don't know when i when i first reviewed him i wrote something that probably in retrospect seems incredibly dumb i quoted john gilgood who was quoting somebody else, I can't remember who, saying, once you learn to do something well, you have to control it and do it more selectively. Well, Wes goes to the opposite extreme. (laughs) He hasn't, he does it, you know, to the nth degree and then the nth, and then the nth beyond the nth degree. And, you know, at a certain point, it seems like self-parody.
1: Right. I do want to say uh, I want to recommend, if you have any sense of the Wes Anderson sensibility anyway, if not, don't bother because this would mean nothing to you. But uh, of those TikTok videos that uh, Carolyn is talking about, uh, the first one ever done was done on Shoreline East here in Connecticut. It got 12 million views, which actually – you know, you a baked potato can get 12 million views on TikTok. But, but I mean, it's really <laughs> funny. I mean, she just uh, did a tremendous job. She's, an, I think, a, an artist or photographer from Brooklyn just taking a train home from visiting her parents. Yeah, she just I, I saw
3: it. that. I was like, you guys are romanticizing taking the MTA. My culture is not your costume. <laughs> like, I was like, this is crazy that people are taking these hipster aesthetics. Like, you guys didn't grow up in Connecticut. You don't know.
1: All right, we have to go. We have to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to go just the way Steve Zissou did uh, under the ocean in a submersible.
3: Holy Dee. Dear alien who art in heaven. Holy Dee. He? Thin and skinny, how how about six foot seven. Holy Dee. Don't we know you ain't our
0: brother
2: or you friend of foe
0: or other? <laughs>
1: We are back. Our panel today on the nose is David Edelstein, Sam Hadleman, and Carolyn Payne. Their qualifications are too numerous for me to list here because we've got to go undersea. So during the last well, starting uh, sort of in the third week of June, I think we became aware of the fact uh, that uh, a submersible uh, called Titan, uh, which was diving down near the wreckage of the Titanic, uh, owned by a company called Oceangate, and was a form of kind of undersea deep undersea tourism something you could pay a large amount of money to go do uh, was off the sonar so to speak nobody really could find it uh, and i don't need to tell you all this it was uh, all the eyes and ears of the world w- were upon this for a really long time but I, I think many of us did notice that there was a fascination with this that kind of went beyond the just the the numbers and letters of the tragedy. There was a way in which we've begun to process things on the interwebs, and especially through social media, where we they become a Rorschach blot, right? We project whatever it is that we're interested in onto it and make it into that thing. Uh, and so, Carolyn Payne, I'm going to have you get us started because you're the one who brought this up as a very interesting topic idea, and you, in fact, did go down. I guess you can't have rabbit holes on the bottom of the ocean, but whatever you do have down there, you went down them.
2: Yeah, I definitely was in deep on this. Uh, I I first heard about it. I heard this. I, I was scrolling and I saw something, Ocean Gate, uh, something involving the Titanic. And I assumed that Ocean Gate, I had never heard of the company Ocean Gate. And I assumed, you know, how we have like Watergate and everything since every time something is some sort of disaster or scandal, we call it a gate. So at first I thought it was just something, you know, it drew me right in with that. And then I realized the multifaceted layers of wild connections and loops. I mean, it was it was great. I felt like Charlie Day with his like bulletin board of like lines connecting things. Uh, you know, the fact that this was a submersible going to visit the Titanic, and the guy who you know Stockton Rush, who started this company, his wife, her grandparents were the ones who fell asleep holding each other on the Titanic as it sunk, and. Uh, it, it was just like every little detail that uh, that I uncovered and that I was reading and seeing just was fascinating. And then plus the like psychological impact of thinking about being inside a submersible like this and just floating there in darkness with death impending was so much more haunting than any horror movie that I have seen uh, or series that I've watched. It just was so intriguing this was like a real gift the past month of something to follow. Um, It just, the, the internet just really delivered on this from the memes to the reactions to just, you know, getting to live react to something collectively I don't know. I I just think that this was a real uh, this was a real cultural phenomenon. And I know that we have had so many things where we're getting to like live react to and that we all kind of fall into these like rabbit holes of obsession with. Um, But this one I felt was really, really unique. Uh, I I really I noticed like anyone, everyone that you mentioned it to was would just get excited and say, oh, yeah, I'm following that, too. And uh, how you know, or I knew it blew up the whole time Well, it, it imploded, but. Yeah, it it just is. It it really was fascinating. And I I can't wait to see uh, what, you know, what comes from this uh, cinematically and uh, just where it goes for us with all these crazy tourism, uh, like space tourism and underwater tourism. Um, I feel lucky that I am not rich enough to even be tempted to want to do any of these things. So, yeah, I think that that's (laughs) <laughs> That's where I'm at with all of this Simps, if I yeah.
1: dive. So Sam, what about you? In what way if any did you geek out on this?
3: Um well, usually I try to avoid the news at all costs because uh both my parents just play the news all day in the house, So I've just kind of tuned it out. Um but I was pulled in by this. I think I think what my theory is is that this is the first time in a while where I'm um, story not to be so, you know, grim, but a story made national news. That wasn't like a school shooting or about a pandemic or about some big political sphere. Like this was like a movie being made in front of us. Um, it kind of, it was funny. It kind of reminded me of Crimson Tide. If any of you guys remember mm-hmm. that movie, mm-hmm. the Dean Hackman Denzel movie, mm-hmm. um, but like way less fun. Um, I just couldn't get over the fact that like somebody, a group of people died in the, over the Titanic in a similar way as the Titanic did, like the people on the Titanic were not the last people to die near the Titanic in the water. I think I emailed this. It'd be like going to the Pompeo and getting stuck in a volcanic eruption like that is just such a one. And it's like I, and I think what drew people was like the story of the negligence from the boss, how the expectations were so high. and People kept warning him about it. I read this fantastic piece in The Atlantic about it. Um, there's just something to peel back for everybody. You could, if you hate billionaires, if you're afraid of the ocean, if you're fascinated by the Titanic, if you want to hear James Cameron talk for four minutes, which God, I really don't want to, um, whatever you're into, there's something for everybody in the story.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I want to go to Mr. Edelstein here, but there's two theory, things that I was kind of fascinated by. The sense, I mean, you know, Sam just mentioned Cameron. Well, he seems like a ridiculous person to talk to, except he knows a tremendous amount about submersibles and going down by the Titanic. He really is one of the world's leading experts on this exact place and going down there in that kind of thing, which I think also made it kind of blur between reality and fiction. And David, I also feel like, you know, I did sense a lot of sort of eat the rich you know reactions to this. It was White Lotus and the menu and stuff like that. It was sort of, these are rich people who can afford a certain kind of fun. They died. Too bad for them, but maybe not as bad as for other people.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that made me very uncomfortable. Uh, first of all, I think the uh, the, the piece, the uh, there was a great piece, I didn't see the Atlantic, but there's a great piece in the New Yorker that really spoke to a number of uh, people who had left the company under very <clears throat> unfortunate circumstances. But yeah, I mean, while this was going on, before we knew, as actually peop, a lot of people seemed to know that there was no hope from the beginning that it had imploded. But while we were all sitting there day after day, you know, some of us were thinking about people in a submersible with their with their oxygen running out and what it would be like to slowly suffocate while while being trapped in this small space. And you know, at the same time, there were a lot of people on on the internets. That were finding joy and uh, Schadenfreude and excitement from the death of these, you know, millionaires and and billionaires, and uh, and I think that it was that was really disgusting to me. I mean, I don't care. Yes, we have too many billionaires, and you know, not at paying two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a pop for a, uh, you know, for it for a ticket. Uh, under under the sea or a million dollars for a for a, a ticket to space you know that doesn't mean that we can't find someplace in ourselves to feel a, a little bit of heartbreak for the, for you know these for, for the for, for human beings who clearly uh well we thought were suffering probably uh, mercifully they would have died uh,
1: in an eye blink
0: in an eye blink so however you know anybody who who said that Uh, in in many of these communities was was ganged up on, you know, it was like, well, what about the uh, 750, you know, um, uh, migrants who died, who drowned horribly, you know, that were ignored by the Greek Coast Guard. And it's not an either or. Of course, that's a barbaric tragedy and people should be punished for that. And we should be ashamed as a as a species for that and for the fact that they even needed to be on that boat in the first place under those circumstances. But that doesn't mean we can't have a simple human response to the idea of people, no matter how rich or poor, you know, slowly expiring under the sea. Right.
3: I mean, it it is kind of an either or, though, like in the media locus and the general public's attention and what we give care and consideration to, it absolutely isn't either or. I think that's why people didn't Really feel sympathy other than like the fact that like the story was so intriguing in itself. Like, we don't, there's not like deep dives on the people we lost who were the migrants on that boat. Like, there's not like Guardian articles talking about what they had for lunch the week before. Like, I'm not saying for us as the observer, there's an either or, but for media conglomerates and where our attention goes, yeah, there's definitely an either or. So,
1: Carolyn, I think the other part of this is that we live in a world now where because of the way the digital space is constructed, you can try to know everything or you can try to know the everything that's important to you. And it, it, it shows up now. I mean, to me, I associate this an awful lot with our obsession with cru- true crime through true crime podcasts and Netflix documentaries and things like that and there you know there can, there can often be two or three different documentaries about one murder case uh, at this point uh, and and there is that idea right you were sort of describing the experience that if you wanted to know something wanted to know something a little bit more I mean, there's that sense also of well, if I just got the complete picture and, and and one of the deceptions of getting the complete picture is the more details you know, the more almost anything seems possible. For example, uh, Mr. Rush was asked apparently by somebody uh, by somebody I think some people who were doing a documentary or some kind of filming down in one of, in the submers- submersible, what would happen if it ran out of oxygen and he just said, well, you'd die anyway. Oh, which seems like a strange thing for a guy in his, his business to say. But, um, you know, you can know enough so that you can feel as though this was foretold in some way or it's in a Simpsons episode or, you know, when you when you start to collect a lot of information, you get information about everything.
2: Yeah, I, I think that you're 100 percent right that we feel that we can get that we're like that citizen sleuth uh trend that, that we see where people you know using the internet think that they're gonna solve these crimes. Um I, I think that you know for 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 most of us it's like what is the most exciting thing in our day typically uh on, on a general day like having something like this where you can go on this like deep dive of learning about a submersible or how you know, what that disaster would be or what what they see when they would look out a window and seeing the wreck of the Titanic or understanding all these like weird little multi-layers of uh, clairvoyance from like a Simpsons episode that seemed to cite this to the fact that there was a book with a ship called the Titan that sunk and that came out before the Titanic ever even happened. You know, I, I think it's just kind of this, fun little scavenger hunt that can like occupy i I find it to be a more healthy way of like scrolling through the internet or scrolling through social media than you know me just looking at uh outfits or cat videos at least you're learning something i learned a lot about deep sea diving through this um and you know and discovering things so i think there's there's an unhealthy level of getting involved in something or judging something. And like what David was saying, where you're really just like throwing stones at these millionaires for how they choose to spend their money. And then it, that being the, the their demise, I think All right, that we have to is- take
1: a little break here. When we come back, we will make some recommendations. Uh, we will be back uh, after this.
0: the under the submarine light far in the deep sonar eyes never sleep hiding like a shadow in the night jet plane
1: I'm sorry if I sounded a little abrupt at the end there. My headphones, which apparently are broken, were beginning to cut out, and it was... uh a very odd experience. So anyway, I've got new headphones now. I'm back. We're back. David Edelstein, America's Greatest Living Film Critic, Sam Haddleman, who works in music public relations, hosts The Sam Haddleman Show at Radio Free Brooklyn, Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, dancer, founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance, and a director and everything else. Uh, you're, they're all with us. Our technical producer today is Cat Pastor, uh, and our producer of this episode, as is almost always the case with The Nose, is Jonathan McPants. I uh, want to remind you also, The Nose Letter is coming out one of our fortnightly editions This is coming out tomorrow. Uh, If you want to get signed up, you can go. Where can they go? To WNPR? No, ctpublic.org slash Colin. I think you'll find a a little uh, sign-up thing there. Um, All right. It's time to make some recommendations. Who should go first? Sam Hattleman, why don't you get us going?
3: All right. I got two recommendations today. First is Apple TV's new show, Platonic, um, with Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. Byron she's Australian. I don't know. Um, it's really good. Um, I think it's been interesting to watch, like people who we really resonated with, like in their 30s, you know, 10 years ago, with Knocked Up and Seth Rogan's Run, um, kind of evolve in front of our eyes and have to tackle some of the issues that come along with being 40 and 50 and midlife crises and dying your hair. Um, it's a really interesting show. Like most of the time, you don't really see a show about like it's basically about a dude and a woman who are just trying to be friends at a pivotal moment of their lives. It's really funny. It's cheeky. Um, Seth Rogen's great on TV. I don't think he's been on TV since like Freaks and Geeks or something. Um, It's really good. It's really strong. Um, The other one I'm going to recommend is an album called Ganger by V's. uh, Full disclosure. And I I, I let Jonathan know beforehand, I, I, I worked on this album on the PR side, but I'd be recommending it either way. It's a gorgeous album. I think the New York Times called him a folk hero of sorts. It's fun. It's zany. It's one of the best albums I've heard in a very, very long time. Uh, the Washington Post called it the best rap album of the year. Um, if you're bored this weekend and want to hear what your kids are listening to, listen to Ganger by Bees.
1: All right. Uh, I, I actually spent my entire weekend – I'm spending my entire weekend listening to FBG Doc, so I, I don't go in for that <laughs> fancy rap stuff. Um, so, um, all right. Uh, I actually did spend, I think, Wednesday night – watching FBG Duck videos with my son because he wanted to, and they are really, really horrible and alarming. Don't watch them. Of course, Carolyn Payne, earlier today, I told you not to do something, and you did it anyway. So uh, what are you going to be recommending?
2: (laughs) Well, I'm definitely not going to be recommending what you told me not to do that we I can, did. We
1: can tell this story, which is that I was sort of looking for <laughs> some kind of essay that analyzed the way in which the, the the experience of the Titan got turned into this kind of enthralling uh, and, and maybe stimulating um, form of discourse. And people were just constantly, you know, carving it up in different ways for their own pleasure. And I made the mistake of Uh, Googling submersible porn. Do not Google submersible porn. And that's what I told the panel and somebody had to go do it. All right. You know, you'll never unsee those sites.
2: I did it. I did it. It's horrible. I'll never unsee any of that. So thank you. Um, While that continues to haunt my brain. Um, I will recommend uh, this past uh, weekend. I was spending time with my eight year old nephew, uh, He's at that age where he doesn't watch kid things anymore, but my brother and sister-in-law are kind of strict about what he does get to watch, so finding cool things is always our goal, and we discovered on Netflix, uh, it came out a while ago, but uh, it's definitely worth the watch. It's called Death by Magic, and it is a fascinating it, it, it's fascinating uh it's this magician drummond money coots who travels around and redoes tricks that killed that famously killed uh magicians and he learns about the history of the trick and uh redoes them in sometimes the exact same way sometimes he adds a twist it's a really it's kind of it's just a fun summer watch and uh um and and quite enjoyable
1: how old is and your how old is your nephew
2: eight
1: eight oh yeah No, hey, mom, we watched Death by Magic, (laughs) the tricks that killed real-life magicians. It was fun. Uh, Well, David and I could probably come up with a list of things that you can watch with an eight-year-old because we've both been through that. But anyway, continue. Yes.
2: Um, Yeah, and the other thing that I am going to endorse is uh, I have decided that this is really Barbie summer. The summer 2023 is really Barbie summer, and uh, the soundtrack for the movie that is coming out has been uh, mostly released. And if you are were a teenager in the nineties, a young teen like me and the song Barbie Girl by Aqua came out and that dictated an entire summer of my life back as a, you know, child teen. And now uh we are getting a remix of that with um with ice spice. And it is just also wonderful. And Nicki yeah, Minaj, and Nikki, yeah. Nicki Minaj, I believe.
1: Yes, you are correct.
2: And uh, it is just so delightful. Uh, I love, I love it, and it has been um, playing on loop for me in part of my cycle of music. So, well, on our I, our
1: song of the summer show, I incorrectly predu- predicted the Dua Lipa's song from the Barbie movie it was going to be the song of the summer, which it pretty clearly no. is not. Uh, all right, uh, David Edelstein, you have the floor.
0: Well speaking of the Titanic one of the great metaphors that uh, that has came out of that horrible tragedy is the orchestra playing as the um uh, as the ship went down and I think uh, if, if I'm asked to to recommend something in in pop culture it's a little hard because um You know the this past week the planet has been hotter than any time since the dinosaurs so i i think of all of this as uh uh, the orchestra playing on the titanic that being said if you want to uh if you do want some entertainment well uh, don't don't seek out entertainment um Uh, Jeffrey Tubin has a new book I always mention him because I don't think he's going to get much airtime on NPR uh, about uh, the rise of white-ring extremism called homegrown it's another look at Timothy McVeigh but how profoundly relevant uh, what happened you know those decades ago uh, looks now Um, also along the same lines uh, uh, I saw yesterday on Broadway a very funny one man show just for us by uh, a solo performer named Alex Edelman. Uh, he is a Jewish boy who found himself at a white supremacy meeting. Uh, it's extremely funny. It's extremely scary. Um, you know, if, if you can make light of such a thing, uh, he does it. He does it very successfully. Let me also mention about Barbie M. M. G. M.G. Lord has a uh, a wonderful book about uh, the history of Barbie that I believe is out of print. However, it is still available for downloading. I don't remember the uh, the name of it right now, but MG Lord is the is the the writer. She's very good, and it's a really good book.
1: All right, so I'm going to recommend first of all, since we talked about Wes Anderson, I, I'll I, I think. First of all, I would recommend if you haven't tried things out, you should try out a few of his movies and some of the early ones. I think Rushmore is probably the most accessible uh, uh, of the Wes Anderson movies. The first one, Bottle Rocket, is also in a a very indie way, you know, very indie, not very much money way, very accessible. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel is a marvel. Uh, And my own sort of secret, well, it's not a secret at all. I've watched The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou probably four or five times at this point, and it does sort of unfold little new mysteries to me, the time and I get more information out of it. Uh, and it does end with a submersible scene with a whole bunch of people from the cast packed into a tiny submersible. So that's another possible way to go. The other thing that I'll endorse, this is like if it's really hot out and you don't want to leave the house and you want to just binge and stuff like that. Uh, my partner and I have been binging "Justified," uh, the Timothy Oliphant series, which we actually saw the first time around, so we're kind of re-binging it. Uh, Oliphant is just perfect as this Elmore Leonard character, this guy who, you know, is pretty quick on the draw as a U.S. Marshal. I mean, modern-day U.S. Marshal in uh, Harlan County, Kentucky, uh, and there's just this incredible parade of character actors—the kind of Michael Rapaport, uh, McKelty Williamson uh, type, uh, and of course Walton Goggins is. The there all the way through it, and he is completely amazing as Boyd Crowder. Uh, but uh, just wonderful. Oh, and Margot Martindale, obviously, as Mags, uh, maybe one of the great evil roles that she's ever been allowed to play. So uh, it is, uh, it's is—it's a lot of fun. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything, and people get shot rather casually. So if that kind of thing bothers you, <laughs> uh, if gunshots bother you, you should probably not watch Justified. But it's a lot of fun, and there's a new iteration of it coming out, which I hope we will discuss on the nose when it comes. I think this, one, this one's set in Detroit and uh, based on a different Elmore Leonard novel. <clears throat> anyway, thanks so much for listening today. Thanks to our wonderful panel, including America's Greatest Living Film Critic, David Edelstein, Carolyn Payne, Sam Hattleman. We'll be back it's next week very, with more. Very,
0: very cool place to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> it's cozy, like a cracker bell. Yeah, we all be laughing, talking, joking. Talking about this and talking about that Talk about everything as a matter of fact Oh yeah Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one Avon,
3: Farmington, Yeah, yeah 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 yeah